questions for you, a bit of a pop quiz. And it all kinds of stems, because um, the Hortons were in Niagara Falls at Great Wolf Lodge, and we actually bumped into them there, because we were there earlier on in the week. And being in Niagara Falls, it just kind of it made me think of um, a few different things that, that just kind of fit a little bit in with what I wanted to talk to you about. So a little pop quiz. All right, you guys ready for that? No, it's not too hard. It's not too hard. So the first question, who could tell me what a funambulist is? A funambulist. Funambulist. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's good. But the second part of the word, ambulist, is a little bit of a hint. I think it's from the Latin for walk, like ambulate. Not a fun enabler. It's a, I'm not sure where, why they came up with the word funambulate for this, but it's a tightrope walker. I wouldn't imagine that walking on a tightrope would be especially fun or a fun way to ambulate, but apparently it is. All right, so second question. Uh, does everybody, anybody remember what happened on June 5th, 2012? Awesome! That's good. It's actually, th that date is one of those dates for me. You know how there's dates that kind of stick out in your mind, like when, uh, when John Kennedy was shot? Or probably not, most of us are probably too young to remember that. But um, when the space shuttle crashed, do you remember, you remember exactly where you were when that happened? When the planes crashed into the towers on 9-11, you probably remember exactly where you were when that happened. For me, for some strange reason, I'm not a big tightrope fanatic or fan, but that sticks out in my mind. I remember where I was when that was happening. I was, um, I was getting ready to fly out to uh, Saskatoon for a conference, and it was on TV. And, I was, and so now it's just one of those things. I'll always remember where I was when that happened. Um, but yes, Nick Walenda, one of the flying Walendas, generations and generations of funambulists, they know how to have a good time, uh, walked across Niagara Falls. He was actually the first, very first person to walk across the actual falls part of Niagara Falls. So here's, here's a, a ridiculous question from that scenario. Who were the first two people to greet Nick Walenda when he got off the tightrope and stepped onto Canadian soil? Border Patrol, can you believe it? They greeted him and said, Sir, can you please explain the reason for your trip? <laughs> Duh! <laughs> so he's actually pretty bright. He's, he's like, uh, the reason for my trip is to inspire people around the world. Isn't that an amazing response? Apparently he's a man of faith. I, I didn't know that. But um, you would definitely have to be a man of faith. So um, last question. Mark's not here, so uh, he's probably one of the only people who would know this, but who could tell me the name of history's probably most famous funambulist? Who? Lincoln. <laughs> I don't know if he was a funambulist at all, but he's not the person I was thinking of. Jesus, I'm not sure he walked on tight ropes, but... <laughs> If he did, he would be the most famous. He, walked, he did walk on water. Mark, do you know world's most famous tightrope walker? You should know because you've mentioned him before. Blondin! Blondin! Charles Blondin. You, you might not recognize that name because his name is actually Jean-Francois Gravelet. 
but he's more commonly known as Charles Blondin. So uh, on the morning of June 30th, 1859, Charles Blondin was the first person to actually walk across the Niagara Gorge. So not quite as long of a trip as across the falls, but he walked across the gorge. It took him 23 minutes. He got to the Canadian side. He rested for 20 minutes and walked right back across on the tightrope to the American side. Pretty amazing feat, right? He does it twice in one day. The guy actually did it. There's a book about it. He did it over, well, it's estimated he did it over 300 times the course of his life. Do you want to know the ways he did it? He did it, uh, he did it one time carrying one of those big old-fashioned cameras on his back, the one that you have to put your head under a little uh, cover to see what's going on and take the picture. And he stopped, he stopped just before he got to the American side of the border so he could take a picture of everyone that was watching him. He set it up, got it standing, took a picture. Pretty impressive, eh? Not just that he could walk across with it, but he stopped to take a picture. He did it carrying a small stove strapped to his back, and when he got halfway across, he took the stove off, cooked an omelet, and ate it on the tightrope. That's pretty impressive. He did it pushing a wheelbarrow across, across the, uh, the tightrope. Pretty impressive. He did it... Okay, this is bizarre because I can't even walk this way without, without probably falling over it. He did it blindfolded. He did it doing somersaults. He did it walking backwards. And uh, that's not all, though. The most, probably the most amazing thing he did was he did it carrying a man on his back. So he, he, one day he decided he was going to carry his manager. His manager is a very trusting person. He's going to carry his manager across the, fall, or across the gorge on a tightrope. Now, I think you'd probably agree that that is got to be one of the best examples ever of trust placed in one human being by another. When you'd, I would say there'd probably have to be. Well, it's either brave or it's tremendously stupid. I think it's probably more on the side of stupid, but he was definitely, uh, he was a brave man. So Blondin carried his manager on his back from one side of the falls to the other. Now, imagine, this didn't happen, but imagine, okay, his manager had seen him do this trip hundreds of times, and he's on his back. Imagine if they got halfway across, and his manager said, okay, hold it right there, Blondin. I know I've seen you do this. I know I put my trust in you at the beginning, but uh, I'm not sure you can do it. I think I could probably do it better. Put me down, and I'm going to finish it the rest of the way. Could you imagine anybody doing that? Please say no. (laughs) I couldn't either. If they did, they would have to be insane. So having been carried that far, why in the world would anybody get the person to stop or Blondin to stop and carry them by himself? It, It wouldn't happen. It sounds like a, even a ridiculous notion. But the, the fact is that when, uh, when you read, we're continuing on in Galatians tonight, if you read what Paul says to the church in Galatia in chapter 3, you get the sense that that is exactly what he's telling them not to do. He's, he's telling them, okay, you can't just say, I put my trust in you, Jesus, at the very beginning, and now, you know what, we've made it so far, I'm not sure I trust you anymore, I'm going to take it on my own from here. Kind of a ridiculous notion. So we're going to pick up where Mark left off last week. Uh, and to be entirely honest with you, um, in Galatians from chapter 2 to chapter 3, the message is a little bit similar. 
actually, the, the entire message of Galatians is very similar. It's like Paul has one message that he's trying to get through to the Galatians, and he knows they're a little bit thick, maybe, or they'll have a hard time hearing it, so he repeats it over and over and over again in different ways. And so I think even though the message from chapter 3 is similar to chapter 2, I think it's a message that we probably need to hear again as well. So I'm uh, not going to skip over it. Um, Mark kind of said, you know, speak on whatever you want. But I thought it was really important to continue on with, uh, with this theme. So chapter 3, verse 1 of Galatians says, uh, if, you're, if you're there, if not, I'll read it. Oh, and it's there, magically. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? That's interesting. There's actually one translation that says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's actually, when I, was, when I was reading this week, I looked through a bunch of different translations and, and commentaries, and one of them actually said, um, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, oh, you dear little idiots, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Could you imagine Paul saying that to the church in Galatia? That's basically what, uh, what he was saying to them. So he's, he's basically saying, what on earth are you thinking? Are you in your right minds? Have you been brainwashed? What are you thinking? Why, why have you changed your ways all of a sudden? So he's, he goes on to say, For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear, as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. So basically he's saying, what is it about Christ's death that, that you don't get? Did he die for nothing? Paul goes, on, goes, back, uh, goes on to ask a really important question. It's a rhetorical question, so it's not a question he expected them to answer. Because it's a rhetorical question, you know that the answer is probably very clear and very obvious. And the question is, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? How did you receive the Spirit? Was it by anything that you did? Was it by anything that you could have done? Was it by obeying the laws of Moses? Was it by being circumcised? Of course that's not how you received the Holy Spirit. You received the Spirit by believing in the message of Jesus Christ. This is probably one of the greatest misconceptions about the Christian life. And I hope that, that, uh, that you're clear that you're not accepted by God based on anything that you've done, that you're only accepted by, by the work of Jesus Christ and what he did for you. I hope that if you've been with us this far in, in, this, uh, in this series that you've got that. Once we're Christians, though, that's kind of the question is, once we're Christians, how do we grow? How do we continue on from there? How do we get the rest of the way? There's a couple of theological terms, and I, I'm not a big fan of theological terms, but um, you might have heard the term uh, justified and sanctified. And so what, basically what, what Paul's getting at here is that you've been justified or made just as if you'd never sinned. You've been made right before God by the work of Jesus Christ. And then the question from there is, well, how do we become sanctified? And sa- being sanctified is the act of continually being made holy, continually being made holy before, before God, and, um, and that's an ongoing process. And there's a, really a lot of, uh, kind of a lot of confusion over exactly how that's supposed to happen. And that's a big problem, isn't it? We know 
what it takes to become a Christian. We know that we put our faith in Jesus Christ to become a Christian. But then we're, you know, we hear all kinds of different messages about how we're supposed to continue on in our faith. And we look at the Old, we look at the Old Testament, and there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. If you wanted to be, um, if you wanted to be following laws, there's a whole lot of laws there that you could follow. Um, but the question is, you know, do we follow those laws? If we follow them, which ones do we follow? And Paul is saying, you know what? You continue on in your faith in the exact same way that you started. You continue on by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And he's given you the Holy Spirit when you first did that, and the Holy Spirit continues to dwell with you as you, as you walk in your, uh, in your journey with him. So it's, it's not like we could, we, we all of a sudden, using that tightrope scenario again, it's not like we get on the tightrope and we start across on, the, on, on Jesus' back and then say, you know what, Jesus, I, I, you did a good job, but I think I could take over from here. It's a little bit of a ridiculous notion. So, um, so there's all kinds of laws that we could that we could uh, that we could be following. Um, I'm not. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have been to a church ever before in your life before being here tonight? Anybody? Pretty much everyone's been in a church before. I know that I've been in a church, and from the time I was probably about nine, I, I, uh, my parents started taking me to church. And to be honest with you, there are all kinds of rules that the churches that I've been to had. I've been to a church where um, you couldn't go to church wearing shorts, you couldn't go to church wearing jeans, you couldn't chew gum in church, you couldn't run in the church. Um, you couldn't say certain things in the church. You could only say certain things a certain way to certain people in the church. It's all kinds of rules that you could follow in church. And to be quite, quite honest with you, some of the rules that you... For those of you that come to, the, um, to Kingsway, though, you probably notice there's not a lot of rules at Kingsway. The very fact that we're having a Super Bowl party at Kingsway, I think, should tell you that Kingsway is a little bit different than a lot of churches or most churches that you could go to. But... But there are a lot of rules that you could follow if you're going to certain churches. And to be quite honest with you, when I was a kid growing up, and even now, I consider most of those rules pretty baffling. But I guess um, when you look at the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament laws, some of those, if you look back at them, might be a little baffling too. So here's just a few. And I say this tongue-in-cheek because I know they had a purpose back in the day. I know there was a purpose for the laws. But looking at them now... See if you can, uh, can tell me what the possible um, reason for these, for these laws might be. So here's one. You shall not wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of stuff. That's found in uh, Le- Leviticus. So if, if we wanted to be law followers or rule followers, and we were going to follow that law, how many of you tonight would be able to wear what you're wearing? Probably most of us would have to cut our wardrobes in half, and uh, some of us might actually have to come to church naked every once in a while because we didn't have clothes to wear. It's an odd rule. Here's another uh, for you ladies. Pay particular attention to this. It's from Deuteronomy. And you men take, pay attention to this too because you don't want to put your wives in this situation. If you're in a fist fight with another man and his wife grabs your private parts, you shall cut off her hand. Come on, I'm not sure how common that was back in the day. <laughs> but thankfully... Thankfully, I'm not a big fist fighter. Even more thankfully, if I was, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't be my wife's response. Pretty sure. 
So another kind of baffling rule, and unlike the Ten Commandments, I'm not sure it's one that you'll find engraved on the side of a courtroom, but watch out, ladies. Watch out. <laughs> another. If you suspect your wife is cheating, you shall bring her to a priest who will mix a potion of barley, water, and dust, which the woman shall drink. If she's cheating, her stomach will swell. Now, 2,000 years ago when this was written, actually more than 2,000, 4,000 years ago when this was written, there was no contraceptives. So I'm guessing that if she was cheating and got caught a little later on in the process, the swelling stomach might be a little baby bump. But who knows? That could be a very interesting concoction that I've never tried it. Barley swells when it... Well, there you go. It's going to swell anyhow. If she's innocent, it might swell too. Perhaps. Odd way to find out, though. I got to say. Anyone wanted to try that rule out? I don't want to try it out. Here's another. If you set your slave free after six years... So this kind of goes along with there is laws, um, jubilee laws back uh, in Bible times. And after six years, you could set your slave free. If you set your slave free and you're a particularly good owner, but he decides to stay... Here's your good reward, my faithful servant. Put him up against the doorpost and, uh, and bore a hole into his ear. Sounds like a good reward, doesn't it? <laughs> I'd be running, I'm sorry to say. Uh, here's another. You shall not marry your wife's sister. That's a good rule. That's a good rule. I'm not going to marry my wife's sister. I'm not sure why we, I, I had to be told that. But Here's one for the gardeners out there. Any gardeners? Anybody like to garden? Any farmers? If you're a gardener or a farmer, you shouldn't plant your, seed, your field with two kinds of seed. I guess that makes a little bit of sense, but I don't know. I'm not a farmer. Here's one that I, I really like, particularly because of the last one on the list. You shall not eat eagles, vultures, black vultures, red kites, black kites, ravens, horned or screech owl, gull, or any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and my favorite of all those, the bat. Mmm, I love bat. Uh, if anybody's looking for a change in profession, pay particular attention to this. Do not become a shrine prostitute. Any other kind? I don't know, but definitely not a shrine prostitute. Uh, John, you and me, and, and we'll have to, well, there's a few of us with beards. I'll have to pay attention. Do not trim the corners of your beard. I'm not at the stage where I need to worry about that yet, but um, Leviticus says, do not trim the corners of your beard. And here's, here's the last one. My, um, if, has anybody read A Year of Living Biblically? A couple of you read it. <laughs> it's, a guy who, it's a guy who decided that every day he was going to, for, for one full year, he was going to try and live strictly according to the laws of the Old Testament. So he's going to try to abide by all 613 of these. And he mentioned this one in particular. You should not lie in a bed where a menstruating woman has lain, and you can't sit on a chair where she has sat. Now, I'll tell you what, if we lived by that rule, I'm pretty sure my wife would lay in every bed and sit on every chair <laughs> just to spite me. <laughs> I'm glad we don't live by that rule. I wouldn't be able to sit for... 14 days, yes. <laughs> now, obviously, obviously, I'm poking fun at those rules and, and those laws, and I probably shouldn't have taken very tongue-in-cheek. But there are a lot of rules in the Old Testament that 
um, that you could follow. There's 613 rules that you could follow. To be able to follow every single one of them would be impossible. The point that, uh, that I'm getting at is that as Christians, there are so many rules that we can place on ourselves. There are a lot of things that if we wanted to follow, we'd have to do or things that we couldn't do. And the problem with that is that it's not at all what Jesus had in mind for us. Not at all what he had in mind for us. When Jesus walked on the earth, there were a couple of things that he was known for. He was known as being a great teacher. He was known as being a healer. He was known as being the son of God. But one thing that he's also known for, at least in religious circles, he was known as being someone who didn't live by the rules. The religious people were always trying to catch him up on on the fact that he didn't live strictly by all the rules that were laid out in the Old Testament. Not to say, no, that's not to say that he went and intentionally tried to break every rule in the book. But if you look at the way that Jesus lived his life, it has to make you wonder if he really wants us all to be living by some rule checklist. You can do this, and you should do this, and you should do this, but don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do that. I don't think that's at all what he had in mind for us. As a matter of fact, I know that's not what he had in mind for us because he pretty much went so far as to say so. You see, the religious leaders were getting a little ticked at the fact that Jesus wasn't following all other rules, and they called him on it. They asked him, so which, which of the rules, which of the commandments is most important one to follow? And we know Jesus' famous response was, everything that you've been taught can be summed up in two simple rules. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he had to go on and follow it up because sometimes um, we can be a little thick and we don't necessarily know how that plays out. If, you don't, if, if that's not enough for you, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. If you can follow those two simple rules, you've got the gospel down. There's no need to follow a whole checklist of rules. There's no need to look back at all the laws of the Old Testament and try to follow them to a T. It's all summed up in those two simple rules. As a matter of fact, if you're trying to follow a list of rules, they'll probably steer you in the wrong direction. And that's essentially what Paul is saying in his, uh, in his letter to the Galatian church in chapter 3. So as we continue to walk through, I'm going to um, quickly, hopefully quickly, uh, get to three kind of things that we can pick up from what Paul's saying. And the first is that the entire Christian life is based on faith and not performance. The second is that that's actually the way it has always been. And the third is that there really could be no other way. All right, you ready for this? All right. So the entire Christian life is based on faith and not performance. We've kind of gotten to that in the first few verses of chapter 3, where Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? So what Paul identifies here is is one of the greatest issues that we have to face as followers of Jesus. And it's not an issue of morality. It's not an issue of which rules we need to follow or whether we need to do this or do that. Paul is talking about when the Galatians first heard the gospel and became believers, 
The power of the Holy Spirit was clearly at work in their lives at that point. The Bible clearly teaches that when we become Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts. And that those who are genuine Christians have the Spirit living within them constantly. Uh, In another letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said that the Holy Spirit is God's seal and guarantee that he will complete his work in us. It wasn't Old Testament law that we needed to follow for him to complete his work in us. It was having the Holy Spirit in our lives to guide us and direct us day by day that would be a seal and a guarantee that he would complete his work in us. And so the, the answer to Paul's question is that I received the Holy Spirit because I heard the gospel message of faith. So Paul goes on to ask, um, did you receive the Holy Spirit because you were circumcised? It's kind of the rhetorical question. Because you were circumcised or because you were able to perfectly keep the words of the law? And the answer is an obvious no. The Holy Spirit never takes up residence in our lives because we're able to follow a law perfectly. The Holy Spirit never takes up residence in our lives because we've cleaned ourselves up just right. Holy Spirit only enters our lives when we put faith in Jesus Christ and invite him to do that. So we're not saved by doing, Paul says. We're saved by hearing. We don't become Christians by doing anything to earn God's acceptance. So then, given this, Paul asks, having been begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is there anything that you can do to perfect yourselves, to continue being sanctified or to be continue to be made holy in your, in your journey? And the answer is, duh, no, there's nothing I can do. If I couldn't start the journey and make myself even presentable before God, how can I continue to be made holy on my own? So it, Paul's basically, basically saying it's, it's foolish to think that you can start one way and finish another. Now, there could potentially be some confusion with, with what I'm saying. Like, I, don't want you, I don't want to get the idea that we disregard the Bible because that is not the case at all. We need to continue to be in the Scriptures because... Um, Essentially, the scriptures are, are God's story to us of how he, how he manages to work out things in our lives. As Christians, we need to relearn the gospel every single day. I don't know about you, but um, as, I, as I walk through my week, as I walk through my days, I often start to drift a little bit away from the gospel. I often start to drift a little bit away. And every day, I need to be turned back. It's kind of like... Um, having a satellite. And next week when we have the Super Bowl here, Mark was explaining to me just before the service that there's a satellite that we actually have to use to catch the, the uh, feed for the Super Bowl. And if it's not aligned perfectly to the satellite that, that is broadcasting that, that, uh, that game, then we're not going to be able to watch it. Our Christian lives are exactly the same way. If, if we are not tuned in directly with the Holy Spirit and tuned into the Word of God, then we drift away. We're not able to continue on in our walk. So we, need to, we do continually need to be in the Word so that we don't drift away from the gospel. Um, and it's, it's a reminder that, that um, what Paul is trying to remind the Galatian church of is that we can't live our lives on autopilot. We can't just start in the journey, walk our way on our own. We need to continually 
um, daily struggle to grasp the message of the gospel. And that message is that we need to live in faith and trust that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit will continue to change us. So we grow by grace. The second is that that's the way that has always been. So that gets to, heart, to the heart of uh, one of the, possibly one of the biggest mistakes that we might make when we're reading the Bible. It's one of the reasons that um, sometimes we get kind of the wrong idea about how to grow in the Christian life. If you ask most people what the Bible is about, they'll probably tell you that it's about how to lo- live a good moral life. It's about how to become a good person. If you ask about stories in the Bible, many of them will tell you that the stories will show you how to be a good person. The Bible becomes a how-to book that provides examples of how, of, of people whose actions we should imitate. And there's a little bit of a problem with that approach, though. It, it's a misunderstanding of what the Bible is all about. You see, in this passage, as it relates to Abraham, who's the father of the Jewish people, and to whom many of the important promises of the Old Testament were made, Paul goes on to say, uh, say about him in verses 5 to 10, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's not because you obey the law. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Not because of the laws that he followed. It's actually really interesting to note that Abraham lived before the laws were even written down, before the laws had been given to the Jewish people. So it couldn't have been the fact that Abraham was following the laws perfectly. It was the fact that Abraham put his faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God, What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. If you think of the Gentile people, the Gentile people were not um, Jewish. They were people outside of the Jewish nation. The, The laws that were given in the Old Testament were given for the Jewish people to follow, not for the Gentiles to follow. So for them to become followers of Christ, it was completely a matter of faith, not a matter of following specific laws or customs or or, uh, commandments. So God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Paul says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is so important. When we look at Abraham's life, what is it that we should learn? Should we learn that, I mean, you could focus on the fact that Abraham is an example of doing good works. He picked up and moved when God told him to. He took his son to the top of a mountain and was ready to sacrifice him because God asked him to. But was Abraham saved because of his good works? It's not what the Bible tells us. It's not what Paul tells us. Paul tells us that Abraham was saved because of his faith in God. It's what does that say uh, about the, po- the importance of the law when it comes to salvation? Absolutely nothing. There's no room for the law when it comes to salvation. And if there's no room for the law when it comes to salvation, we need to continue on the way we started. The law has a, it, it has a purpose to show us what God is like, but it does not have a purpose to direct every single thing that we do in our lives. And God has always operated this way from the time of Abraham 
to now. There's not two ways to come to God. There's not the following the law's ways, and then there's the trusting in Jesus' way. There is one way to come to God through Jesus Christ. And that, that should actually change the way that we read the Bible, that we look at the Bible, we look at the, the heroes of the Bible. We often look at the heroes of the Bible, and we look at the way that they lived their lives, and we try to emulate their lives. We try to imitate the way that they lived their lives. The fact of the matter is, they're only heroes because they put their trust in God. They're only heroes because they put their trust in God. And that should completely change the way that we look at them. Instead of seeing them as people who are good enough, we can begin to see them as people who simply trusted in God. We can begin to see how trusting in God worked things out in their lives. And I don't know about you, but that is a huge relief to me. A huge relief. We don't have to do exactly we don't have to try to follow exactly the steps and the laws and the commandments that, th- that those in the Old Testament did. What we need to do is learn from them how to understand what it is God is doing around us, how to listen for his still small voice, how to see what he's doing in the people around us, how he wants us to live our lives, and how, how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to put our faith in him enough that we'll act in ways that allow him to make his desires for us become a reality. That's a relief for me. I hope it's a relief for you. But in all of that, again, I don't want to say the Bible has no, the Old Testament scriptures have no place. They absolutely have a place. The Bible is a guidepost. It's what we need to tether our lives to because oftentimes we'll think we'll hear things from God and uh, unless we check back to scripture, and realign ourselves back to Scripture, and look at the history of the God, uh, how God continued to work through the lives of His people in, in the Bible, then we don't really have a sense of whether or not it's actually Him speaking to us, or the fact that I had pizza and I've got huge indigestion, right? We need to be able to, to, we need to, be able to make sense of, of what it is God's saying to us, and we need to ensure that it's consistent with how He's acted and how he's moved and the things that he's had his people do in the past. So the Bible communicates that we grow through our faith and it does so from the beginning of the book to the end. God continues to allow us to grow through faith and not through um, following specific laws. But in order to, to get everything we can out of this passage, we have to realize that that there's one more important piece and that is that there could be no other way. There is no other way. And it's really important that we get this into our heads. If, if we try to live the Christian life by our own strength, if we try to follow certain rules to be good enough to get to heaven, to, be, to see ourselves as good enough to be able to come to God, then um, the Bible and Paul says we're actually condemned. Do you want the reason for that? is because there are 613 rules in the Old Testament. Do you think any one person alive ever in history could have abided by all 613 of those rules? There was one person, Jesus. He lived a very short life. He was nailed to a cross. There's been nobody since then who could possibly do it. There are, there's only one way 
to follow Jesus Christ. There's only one way for us to grow in our faith. Paul says in uh, Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. It's not just bad. It's not just hard to follow, the, to, to follow works of the law. If you try to follow them, you're under a curse. That's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy stuff. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Not just some things. I don't know about you, but um, I know that, that we can be pretty good about picking out certain things that we want to follow when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to the Old Testament. I can't tell you how many times I've been told by people, well, the Old Testament says that you, uh, you can't have a tattoo. And right next to that verse, there'll be something, that, uh, something about uh, women cutting their hair. Well, it's okay for women to cut your hair, but you can't have a tattoo. John, you can't, you can't have a tattoo, but you better make sure to trim the corners of your beard. <laughs> we can't pick and choose the laws. Unless we're willing and able to follow all 613 of those laws, we're cursed. That is, that is, is heavy stuff. Our efforts to keep God's laws will always fall short. And that will leave us in big trouble if we choose to try to come before God on our own effort and our own strength. If we think we can become the people God wants us to be by following some prescribed law, we need to realize that those who don't do everything, every single thing written in those laws are cursed. No one could do that. So trying to earn God's approval through keeping the law, it leads to a curse. It's, it's not something that's a good thing to try to do. So this is, it seems like not very good news, but Paul goes on and finishes up with, uh, with this thought in verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, if you're at all like me, you sometimes might be frustrated by the lack of progress that you see in your own life. Have you ever felt disappointed with yourself because you couldn't keep up to certain high standards? Have you ever found yourself not living up to your own good intentions? Do you ever get frustrated with your lack of growth at times? Here's the key. Stop trying to do it on your own. That's the message of Paul in Galatians 3, 1 to 15. Stop trying to do it by yourself, on your own. The way you grow is the same way you became a Christian. We need to relearn the gospel every single day. And the gospel message is that Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, and he rose for us so that we could be forgiven, we could receive the Holy Spirit, and we could live and walk each day with the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. That is an amazing and freeing message. You don't have to live by law. You don't have to keep a checklist of do's and don'ts. And so my encouragement tonight is to continue the Christian life, continue your walk the exact same way you started it, by grace 
and not performance. Remember that it has always been this way. This isn't a new message. It has always been this way. We can't try to live according to our own strength because it leads to a path of condemnation. So live your Christian life the way you started, through continual trust and dependence in the Holy Spirit and continual focus on the cross as you try to please him.